0: As we continue to go through the gospel of Mark together, Mark chapter 12, last week we looked at it, just a couple of verses. I want to look at those same verses, but not to go through them again, uh, but to look at the background for them so that we can understand even a little bit more into what they heard Jesus saying. Mark chapter 12, verse 35, we're looking back to the first appearance of the Lord Jesus as we look forward to his second appearance. He will be back. Mark chapter 12, verse 35, when Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, remember, this is now after he'd been questioned and tried by lots of the leaders of the Jews, kept trying to trick him with with questions. Now they stopped asking, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit declared, this is from Psalm 110, "The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet." David himself calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. And now I'd like you to take your Bibles and Look to Psalm one ten, the place that Jesus is quoting from. Psalm one ten. Jesus quotes this first verse, but as he quotes it, those who know Psalm one ten, even among us, but particularly in his first audience as he was as he was telling these things, many of those leaders, those teachers of the law, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, They knew Psalm 110 by heart. And so when he started the quote, their minds probably continued on with who Jesus was identifying himself as. Look what Psalm 110 says. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sound familiar? And now he continues. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. And remember, Zion is a section of Jerusalem known as the city of David, that first part of Jerusalem that David conquered, and, and he made it the, the, the seat of his kingdom, of his, of his, of his rule. So my, the mighty scepter from Zion will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up. His head. Now, sometimes we read the Old Testament, or or the New Testament for that matter, and we just go, huh? What is he talking about? The answer to that question with Psalm 110, not just the first verse that Jesus quoted about himself that day in the temple but all of it the answer to what he's talking about is Jesus the multifaceted ministries of Jesus and the dual nature of Jesus in in two different ways not just as we as we focused on last week the fact that verse 1 clearly expresses and points out that Jesus, the coming Messiah, he was still coming in David's day, remember. Now, he had arrived in Mark 12. He's there, describing himself using David's inspired words. And remember, don't forget that statement that Jesus makes. That is so important for us, to understand Jesus' view of the Old Testament, to understand Jesus' view of Psalm 110, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's where the Old Testament came from. The inspiration, God breathing it through those prophets, of which David was one. He not only was king, he was also a prophet. But as he was making this statement about the nature, the the dual nature of of Jesus, the, the coming Messiah, both God and man, the son of David, born in the line of David, but also the son of God. So he's both fully God and fully man. But he's also a king and a priest. A king that's going to rule. Right now he's ruling in our hearts, in our lives. As we submit ourselves, not just on Sunday mornings in a a worship service, but as we daily submit ourselves to his will and to his word, as we continue to grow in our knowledge of his word, as we continue to grow in our service of our king, He rules through us. But there's coming a day, and it's described here very vividly by David that there's coming a day, and David's speaking of his offspring, of this great king that's going to rise up, who's going to be both God and man, speaking of Jesus. He said, There's coming a day when all of his enemies are going to be made a footstool. That was a fairly common analogy in the ancient world, for, the, for, for great victories of kings over their foes. That, it would, it, that they, they defeated them so severely that those enemies literally became a footstool. Sometimes they would symbolically bring the, the, the defeated king into town and put their foot on his back as a, as a symbol of complete and total domination. Well, that day is coming. When Jesus will physically, again, when he returns, physically reign in this world. And he will make his enemies a footstool. And and this this psalm describes some of what that battle is going to be like. That day is coming. And those leaders, those teachers of law that Jesus was specifically speaking to in that day on the temple they had to start having their eyes opened and start asking themselves, where do we fit into this whole scenario? Because remember what their goal was at this time in the life of Jesus. They wanted him dead. The whole purpose behind the the questioning that they had been giving him the tricks that they were trying to 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 force him you know to force him into mistakes they were trying to get him to blaspheme so that they could bring charges against him and crucify him have him killed they wanted him dead now would you consider somebody who wants him dead to be his enemies yeah so they had to start putting two and two together wait a minute if He is who David is talking about. He is both God and man. He is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to him in a second. And he's going to live forever because that's part of the order of Melchizedek. Where does that put us? They never, those, those men, those leaders of the Jews, they never considered themselves an enemy of the Messiah. They said and claimed that they were looking forward to his coming. But when he came, he wasn't what they expected, even though they should have been expecting him in the way that he came, because the word of God is so clear. But because of their focus on one aspect of his coming, They lost all the other pictures that were painted in the Old Testament of his coming. But he clearly was fulfilling those prophecies. And so now here he's letting them know that there's coming a day in fulfillment of David's prophecy that all of his enemies are going to be defeated in a very vivid and very definitive way. It's not, it's not going to be a, 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 a back-and-forth kind of battle that, that we've experienced, even that's going on, for example, right now in Ukraine. Back and forth. The Ukrainians have a, have a good day. The Russians have a good day. Back and forth. That kind of, this isn't going to be that kind of battle. This is going to be a swift and definitive defeat of the enemies of God. An example, an execution of the wrath of God against all who have rebelled against God. And thankfully, even though that includes all of us who have received him, he has forgiven us of our rebellion against God. We used to be the enemies that these teachers of the law were in Jesus' day. We used to be that before we put our trust in him, before he forgave us of our sins. But that day is still coming. And those, those men that day had to start asking themselves, wait a minute, where do we stand in this? If he is who he says he is, where do we stand? Well, hopefully some of these men after this day and, and the other ways that he answered their questions, hopefully lots of them came to terms with these things. And even after the resurrection of Christ, after his death and burial and resurrection, hopefully many of them put their trust in him. We know that some of them did. We continue to hope that many of them did. Just as we hope today and we work today that many of the enemies of Christ will come to faith in him. We don't ordinarily use that the, that phrase, that that term, enemies of Christ. But it's true. David saw it clearly. Remember, he knew that these these things were coming he knew that his his offspring finally there was going to be a king on the throne that was going to reign with the power of god because he would be god's son we're still looking forward to that day to come those of us who know christ we're blessed by this message we're blessed by this word we're blessed by this hope we're blessed by the fact that david said that his offspring the the coming messiah would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Do you remember Melchizedek? You remember the name? Can't quite place where he showed up. It was to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, a long time before David. David, of course, because he was a respecter of the word of God, he knew about Melchizedek. That's why he could, that's why he could prophesy about him. That's why he could identify the Messiah as a priest who would be in the order of Melchizedek. Abraham, when his nephew Lot got in trouble, got kidnapped, Abraham went and did battle to get him back and won a great victory. And as Abraham and his his family, his troops, were coming back from that victory, they were passing by Jerusalem. And remember, at this time, Jerusalem was not the, 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 the seat of the, of the throne of Israel. There was no Israel yet. This is still in Abraham's day. Abraham was still a sojourner. Abraham didn't have a set place that he lived all the time. But Jerusalem had a king who was also a priest, his name Melchizedek. And when Abraham passed by Melchizedek met with him. Abraham gave a tithe, an offering to Melchizedek, the priest of the almighty God. Again, this is before the the Israelites became a nation. This is before the, the law of Moses was put into practice and all these kind of things. This was long before all of that. Abraham worshiped God through this priest Melchizedek, and that is the story of Melchizedek. That's all we know, and because of that very short story that doesn't have all the details, Melchizedek is known as one who did not have a, a, a father. Didn't have, there's no story of his death, but he continues as a as a as a continual priest, and Jesus, the Messiah, the coming one that David is prophesying, is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus came from the line of Judah. The priests came from the line of Levi. So Jesus wasn't a, Jesus wasn't a priest by the order of Levi. That was a temporary priesthood. He was a priest by the order of Melchizedek, an eternal priest, a priest who this, this very moment right now. He is interceding as a priest does for us, his children. One of the kids remembered the promise that he'll never leave us and never forsake us. Jesus, the priest in the order of Melchizedek is continually, according to Romans chapter 8 verse 34, we won't turn to it right now, is continually interceding for us as the eternal high priest. Remember, the Levitical priesthood under Aaron and and all of his sons and all of their descendants, temporary. Oh, it lasted for hundreds of years, but temporary. The priesthood of Jesus, eternal. He is the one who won for us and bought for us through his death on the cross. Through his resurrection from the dead, he won for us the eternal high priesthood that he might represent us before God all the time. John, the apostle, in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 1, 1, 1 and 2, reminds us that we have an advocate as, a high, as our high priest. He serves as our also defense attorney so that when we sin and we confess our sins to him, he forgives us. Satan would have an objection. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This guy's been sinning. He can't be one of yours. We have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Picture all the way back in the beginning. We have a high priest who says, wait a minute. He's mine. I represent him. I died for his sins. The punishment that he deserves for his sin is on me. I object to what Satan, the accuser, has just said. He's mine and stands in me. That's what our high priest does for us today. That's why we, as as hard as it is for us to do this, That's why we continue to go back to him with our sins. Oh, he's forgiven us once and for all for our sins. But every time we sin as believers in Christ, we break that fellowship that we have with God. And he restores that fellowship every time we confess our sins to him because he intercedes for us. He stands between us and the Father and gives us the guarantee of forgiveness of sins because the forgiveness of sins is based on his nature, on his character, that he has made the promise. Therefore, it is it stands that our sins are forgiven by him. That's why we benefit from having this priest in the order of Melchizedek. Continuing to represent us, continuing to stand before God for us throughout all of our lives while we're living in this world. Then there's coming the time when He returns, and if He comes back before we pass away, before before we leave this earth, this earth, then we will be with Him. Meet Him in the air. We're looking forward to that day. Could be today. Any objections? Now, as I've mentioned to you before, there was a time when I had a conflict with that because I was going to be going to 6 Flags later that week. And the pastor was talking about Jesus coming back and I said, "Ooh." And then I and then it, I had another conflict. I was getting married. And I thought, "Oh. No, you know what? That was childish." Now, Sherry's not here. You can pray for her. She's recovering from a really bad cold. But not not saying that getting married to her wasn't fantastic and still is 42 years later. But not enough to want Jesus to wait for me to have that opportunity to get married. Nothing that we're looking forward to compares with what it's going to be like when he returns, and, and if we've already gone, then we're already going to be with him. And then we'll be reunited with our bodies, given those resurrection bodies, and join with those who are still here, and, and join them also in the air to meet the Lord Jesus and be with him forever. But that day, it's all going to make sense. However, I've tried to explain Psalm 110 this morning, And failed, it's all going to be taken care of when we see him. Again, the Apostle John in 1 John says, when we see him, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. Right now, we're looking at him through the eyes of faith as we look at the word of God. But that day, it is all going to be crystal clear and we're going to see him as he is. In the meantime... Let's look, let's search, let's diligently study and see what he says about himself. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, that's one of the great benefits. We get to see what he says about himself. And on this particular day, he said, look back at Psalm 110 and look at that picture of me. The final statement in that picture in Psalm 110 is a a beautiful picture of peace says, he will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now, remember what that follows. He says that right after it says, the Lord, verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. And then there will be peace. There will will be no more enemies trying to kill him, trying to thwart his plans, trying to stop his people. He'll get down and he'll have a drink from the brook and he'll lift up his head in peace and in full authority and all of us will listen to him, his enemies will. Will have already been heaped up. They will have already been sent to where they're going. But there will be peace. In the meantime, as we were singing this morning, we wait. And while we wait, we share this good news. Oh, this good news has a very harsh side to it. This is reality. There's going to be a day in, in when the wrath of God comes down and the enemies of God are going to be judged and their bodies are going to be heaped and they're going to be judged for eternity. That is a sobering thought. But as long as we still have breath, that means it hasn't happened yet. And there is still an opportunity for those who haven't put their trust in Christ to have that peace with him so that they will be with him, so they will have that promised place that he's preparing for them. That offer is still available. And while we live, we have the opportunity to share that news with the people that we know, with the people that we love, with the people that we meet. Because this is hope for everyone who believes, everybody who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This promise of the wrath of God is also the promise of the grace of God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, young or old, no matter what nation they're from, no matter what race they are, every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and will share in the peace of of the Messiah the ruler for all eternity after that thousand year reign when he reigns on the earth and that final rebellion comes and the final judgments are are issued and executed there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all of us who believe will live with him in his glory by the with the things that he has prepared for us with the rewards that he's prepared to give us for walking with him, for listening to his word, for obeying him, there will be an eternity of sharing in his glory. That is great and exciting news. Let's use the time that we have to live that way and to share these things. Jesus wasn't ashamed to share his inspired word with those leaders in Jerusalem. Let us not be ashamed to share his inspired word with the people that he puts us in contact with, with the people that he gives us influence over and with. Let us share this good news, this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Remember, this is not us bragging about ourselves. This is us bragging about our great God, who promises forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who will put their trust in him. Just as he came the first time, he also will come The second time, just as he promised. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the pictures that are painted of our Lord Jesus Christ in your word. We thank you for the way he used those pictures. To remind the people who are supposed to be waiting for him of who he actually is. Father, we've seen a glimpse of your judgment today. And it's harsh, and it's strong, and it's eternal. And we know that because of who you are, the holy, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit God, that your justice, while our forgiveness is possible because you laid out our punishment on Jesus. Those who reject him, you've said clearly, will face your wrath. And so we pray that you would use us to shine brightly for your son, that those who are right now on their way to facing your wrath personally, that they might trust in Jesus and see your wrath on him instead of them. Father, we thank you for your great love that put this plan together and executed that plan perfectly, that our sin was forgiven on the cross. Father, you know those in our lives right now that we love that we know, that we care about, who are continuing to live as your enemies in rebellion against you. We pray that you would work in their lives, that you would open their eyes, that you would sh- th- show them through your word that their sin can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done for them. Give them the wisdom. Give them the courage. Give them the faith. To put their trust in Jesus, even this morning. And Father, we pray that you would be at work all around this world, letting people know, as you've let us know, that there is hope no matter what they've done, no matter what they've said, no matter what they've thought, no matter what kinds of crimes sins they've committed, that they can be completely and utterly forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for those, Father, who are working hard in the hardest to reach places, getting that word out, getting your inspired word out in its various forms so that people all over this world can put their trust in Jesus. We thank you for the way you've been doing that over these thousands of years, and we pray that you'd continue it until you come. But Lord Jesus, we look forward to your return. Not because we deserve to stand in your presence, but because you've promised that we will through faith in what you've done for us. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.